What's up, Lakeside? Good morning. I think we ought to have John come up and sing the message with me. I don't know. What do you think? Pretty cool. Yeah, man. Good stuff. Hey, if this is your first time at Lakeside, thanks for being here. My name's Sean. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, I'd love to meet you. I'll be out in the lobby. I'll be out on the patio afterwards. Love to say hi to you, get to know you a little bit. And if it's your first time here, we've been in a series, or maybe it's your first time in a while, we've been in this series called, I Know You Are, But Who Am I? And it's basically a series about identity. It's kind of, you know, a play off that playground kind of tennis match between two kids where one says, hey, you're a big jerk face. And the other one says, I know you are, but what am I? And it goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And we're just talking about who we are these days, identity. And I want to take you back to that, you know, elementary school playground because I don't, I don't know about you, but for most of us, that's where this thing called identity starts to form. Yes, it's in the home, and, and our moms and dads say things to us. Our, our sisters and brothers say things to us that stay with us. But for many of us, it's when we walk through the doors of that splendid elementary school, and we sit in a desk, or we are out on the playground, that those words that are worse than sticks and stones start to sink into our soul. Remember these uh, desks? I don't know what kind of desk you had when you, were, when you were a kid. I had a desk when I was eight years old, and I was in second grade, and I was a brand-new kid in a brand-new school, and it would lift up, and I would lift it up, and I would get it all organized, and, and I would distract myself, and mostly I was hiding from the teacher because I didn't want her to call on me to read. Some of you know my story. I couldn't read um, very well at all, and, and, and I had a learning disability that I didn't know about, and, and I didn't learn any phonics because I was in this crazy 1970s experimental reading program, and I went to this new school, and I was behind all the other schools, and the teacher used to call on me to read, and all the kids would giggle and laugh at me, and then once in a while, the teacher would say, Sean needs to work on his reading at home, doesn't he? I don't know what it is. Like in the 70s, it was all about shame. Like if you shame the kid enough, then maybe he'll just try harder and he'll get his act together. And uh, it didn't work for me, but what it it did is it shaped my thinking and it sort of sent me on this quest, this quest to kind of find out, well, well, who am I? Am I the dumb kid, really? And And that's sort of how I started to form my identity. And, and, and I think it would have been helpful for me if even at a child's level and then on into my teenage years, even at a teenage level, if I would have understood just a little bit some of the I am statements that we've been walking through here for the last four weeks at Lakeside. Do you remember some of our I am statements? Let's put them up on the screen and and go back through them. The first one Brad talked about a few weeks ago was, I am a carrier of the unmistakable image of God. What a powerful thing to think about, that the God of the universe creates us in his image. This idea that we exude the character of God to the world like an angled mirror. God is exuded his love, his beauty, and his justice out into creation, out into humanity. That's a powerful, powerful thing to think about. I think even on a childlike level, if I would have, if I would have understood this a little bit, it would have changed some of the trajectory of my life. Here's another one we talked about a couple weeks ago. I am in Christ, a chosen, adopted, work 
of art, it would have been phenomenal to know that I was chosen, that somebody wanted me so much that they sought me out and adopted me into their forever family, that I wasn't just a piece of work, as the parent-teacher conference said every single year to my mom, your kid is a piece of work, but I was actually a work of art, a masterpiece that God had created for his purposes. I think that would have helped me. Or how about last week, uh, John talked about the fact that um, I am redeemed and forgiven. I don't know how your teenage years were, but, you know, it would have been nice to know as I was kind of searching out for who I was and I was experimenting with all these different identities that God had redeemed me and he had forgiven me. And... And we have one more this morning to add to those, all those I am statements. And it comes from the book of Colossians. Because I think it would have helped me, and maybe it will help you, because this is a lifelong thing that we go through. It starts when we're young, but it kind of continues on. It would have helped me to understand some of what Paul was trying to communicate to this young church in the ancient city of Colossae. Paul's writing from prison. He's struggling and he's writing from prison. But as usual with Paul, he knows who he is and he's encouraging these young followers of Jesus who are being attacked by these false teachers who are telling them crazy things about God, crazy things about themselves, crazy things about humanity and how to be right with God. And they've actually created this religion and all of these religious hoops that they want the Colossians to jump through over and over and over and over again. And they're exhausted. And Paul writes a letter to them. And one of the first things that he says is, hey, you know what? I'm praying for you. Isn't it good to know when somebody's praying for you? I've been stopped here on campus a lot, and somebody will say, hey, I just want you to know, Sean, I'm, I'm praying for you. I was with somebody in the kitchen uh, up in our offices uh, this week, and she, was, she had a, a horrible phone call. I don't know what was going on. We didn't have time to talk, but I, I just said, I, I'm going to pray for you, and I went back to my office, and I just started to pray for this person. That's how Paul starts out in uh, verse 9 of of Colossians. He says, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Wouldn't it be good to know what God's desires are for you in any given situation as a parent, as a colleague, as a friend, in your career, after you graduate from school? As an empty nester, wouldn't it be good to know what God's will is for you through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit, this spirit that lives within us, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, when we give our lives to Jesus and we surrender our life to him, he's with us. That would have been helpful for me to know (laughs) when I was growing up, that he will never leave me no matter what I do. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. We talk a lot about being passionate and productive followers here at Jesus. This is what Paul is talking about. Bearing fruit in every good work. Growing in the knowledge, not just this head knowledge, not just sort of this religious knowledge, but an experiential knowledge, a relational knowledge. 
this knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience. Moms and dads, could you use some endurance and patience these days? Amen. Who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Wait a minute, you mean God's qualified me? I don't have to perform for anybody? I, 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 I've been accepted, I've been approved by God. He has qualified me to inherit heaven and to serve as a saint. A saint, not, not these above everybody else, but, but just these people that are following Jesus. He's qualified me to be a part of his kingdom. That's a phenomenal thing. I just think that that would have changed so much of my early life. But I had this trajectory that that I was on, and I, I was sort of the dumb kid. And so I had to do something about it because you have to do something about your identity when you're really uncomfortable with it. And so you learn how to hustle for love and acceptance, and you learn how to put on different costumes and different masks, different identities. And so I had to find one that was really good, that would really work for me, one where I knew that I can almost never fail. And so I chose one that I thought would work for me. And because I lived in a culture, in a city that, you know, really, really, really liked sports, I put this jacket on. You guys know what that's like to live in an area that, you know, sports are a big deal? You don't know anything about that in Folsom or El Dorado Hills or this area. So I, I put this jacket on, which, holy cow, used to fit a lot better. And, uh, and, and, and it made me feel really good about myself. It gave me an identity. Because from 8 to 18, for about a decade... Whatever sport I played, I was one of the best at that sport. And it didn't really matter what it was. If you put a ball in my hand, you know, I, I could do a lot of things with it. I could shoot the ball in the hoop. I could kick the ball in the goal. I could hit the ball out. I could throw the ball down the field. I wish I would have had a little white ball, but I didn't play that game when I was younger. <laughs> Darn it. I wish I was good at that one. And, and I, 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 I felt comfortable with this. But at some point... The, ba- the, the, um, the basketball has to be put down and the jacket has to, has to be taken off, right? I mean, we have to take off the jacket. Now, we exchange the jacket for other jackets, right? I mean, we exchange this jacket that's full of competition. It's full of wins and losses and, and tension and competitiveness, all that stuff. We change it for jackets all the time when we go into business or into our careers, right? There's a lot of people in business that are actually really wearing this jacket. Sometimes we take the jacket off and we actually put it on our children and we live through them. You ever see those crazy parents or coaches on the sideline? But at some point, at some point, we have to take this jacket off. Now, because I grew up in the 80s and there was this modern movement uh, of modern music going on in the 80s, this jacket fit me for a while. Do you guys remember, you know, Simple Minds, Tears for Fears, and we would go out clubbing and me and my buddies would be dancing and what's... But this one really didn't fit me all that well. It didn't last as long as the other one. So I kind of took this jacket off and hung it up. But, uh, oh, now here's a jacket that actually sort of fit pretty well for a little while. Because you see, when you're a white boy that looks like Richie Cunningham, and you can do things that other white boys can't do as well. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. And you dress up in your sweatsuits, and then you... do this sort of stuff.
But at some point, this jacket has to come off because when you're a middle-aged man and you do that, it can get awkward. <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, that lasted for a little while, and that was fun. But uh, there were other identities that I tried on, like, like boyfriend Sean, like romantic Sean. That was a good one for me. You know, I always liked to have a girlfriend, and I was the, I was the, you know, the boyfriend that would write the notes and would do the flowers and all of that stuff. And, but I was insecure and a little bit unhealthy, and so, you know, boyfriend Sean's relationships didn't last so long and that sort of stuff. But I, I actually bought my wife flowers early on, and I got all romantic, and she looked at the flowers, and my wife's love language is food, and so she said, you know, Sean, if we're going to spend this money, we're poor college students, let's just buy food. Let's not do the flower thing. And, you know, boyfriend Sean, you know, he, he lasted for a while. And then, then there was actually pulpit Sean, you know, because I, I found Jesus and I went into ministry. And, you know, if you have any sort of uh, competitiveness, if you have any sort of perfectionism, if you have a performance issues or if you have approval issues, then ministry is sort of a landmine of, dis- of discouragement and disillusionment because you're working with people, right? And, but, but you know this. You know this because you have all those things in your life as well. So let me ask you, what jackets are you putting on these days? In your journey, what kind of identities, what kind of costumes have you tried on? If you want to take the study of identity a little deeper, there's a great book called Abba's Child by Brennan Manning. And in the book he says, define yourself radically as one beloved by God. You see, it always starts with God's love. Our identity is based on God's love, that he loves you just as you are and not as you should be. None of us are as we should be. He says, this is the true self. Every other identity is illusion. Well, the truth is that we can struggle with identity on and off, even after we know Jesus for a lifetime. We struggle to believe what God says about us, and oftentimes we continue to hustle for love and acceptance. But the good news, and what we're trying to communicate during this whole series, is that it doesn't have to be that way. Because when we embrace who we are, not just in our brains, but in our hearts, in our souls, down to our toes, and we allow that identity to be lived out. We experience that identity being lived out in the context of our relationships. It is phenomenal what can happen when we know who we are. But how do we get there? I mean, I mean, how do we actually get from here to there? And that's sort of what we've been talking about and having you repeat the identity statements. But I think it would be helpful to kind of go back just a little bit and kind of theologically and then practically kind of unpack this a little bit. And so I want to go back to the beginning of our story where Brad started the series several weeks ago to the man and the woman and the God and the tree and the serpent. Because we know uh, when this creation narrative unfolds and you get to the end of it, In chapter 2 of the very beginning of the Bible, in a book called Genesis, it says something remarkable. And it says that the man and the woman were naked and felt no shame. 
Sometimes I'll use that in a wedding, and I'll, and I'll say that, and there'll be a few little giggles. Oh, they were naked, <laughs> you know? But it's not about nakedness, you know? It, it's, it's not about sex or sexuality. What, what that verse is really a commentary on is the fact that there was this unbelievable security within a vulnerable relationship, and there was no shame in the world at that point. Can you imagine a world without shame? Without the kind of pain that shame brings on, without the dysfunction of blaming and deflecting shame and blaming everybody else and all sorts of things that happen because of shame's existence in the world, in our lives. Shame is a destructive force. Brene Brown, who is a shame expert, a researcher, says shame is all about unwanted identities and labels. And I would say that for 90% of the men and women that I've interviewed, and she has interviewed thousands upon thousands, their unwanted identities and labels started during their tweens and teens. Shame is one of the things that brings pain to the family. We're talking a lot these days about pain in the family and hope in the church. That we want to find the pain and be the hope. And so one of the ways that we're going to do that is we've, we're going to create this environment on October 29th where we're partnering with the Folsom Cordova School District. And we're going to talk about those years, those teenage years. And so we would really love you to be a part of this. Chap Clark is a phenomenal communicator and a, and a phenomenal researcher on teenagers and parents and families and has published and been around uh, the world speaking on this. And, and we believe it'll be accessible to anybody from any background. So we want to encourage you to be there because we just want to be able to enter into the pain of where people are at during that turbulent time of the teenage years, if you have younger ones and they're not yet there and life is good and, and, and everything and you, you are really good parents, go anyway because you, you'll need to prepare yourself for the coming earthquake of the teenage years. So we just, we just want to partner and we want you to be there for that on October 29th. We believe that when we recover our identity, we learn how to live free of shame. You ever seen a really good picture of somebody that's free of shame? When my daughter was about four, we were living in Colorado, and she was running around the house one day. And I was working away on my computer. I was doing something, and she caught my eye because she kept running back and forth and back and forth. And she had this long string, and the cat was running after her. And she had this cute little dress on, and her curly blonde hair was flying. And she's, like, going back and forth, and she's just giggling and laughing. And I thought, oh, to be free like that, to have the shackles of our shame and our pain taken off of us, and to be able to just be who we were meant to be, that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, chapter 2 in Genesis turns out into chapter 3, and the snake shows up, and the apple is eaten. And that narrative is a fundamental belief of how things can go wrong when we turn away from God. 
Remember the, the idea of the image of God? We're like this angled mirror where we are imaging love, justice, and beauty out into the world. And then we are uh, taking the praises back to God. But there's a problem when we take that mirror instead of being an angled mirror and we start to turn it on ourselves. And then we see our own image and we look at ourselves instead of looking at God and reflecting him out into the world. We reflect ourselves back on ourselves. And Paul, the apostle, talks about this problem and all of the problems that happen because of that in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, he says, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And he gives this long sort of list of all the the things that break down when we turn from imaging God to imaging ourselves and saying, we really don't need you anymore, God. We're going to do fine on our own. We will be the authority of our own life. We're going to live a different type of humanity, not the humanity that you meant us to live, but we're going to live a different type. I think, you know what we ought to do? I think if, if, if we, as humanity, made a bad exchange, if we made a bad trade, you ever make a bad trade where, you know, you trade like a vintage baseball card for a stick of gum just because you, you, you want a stick of gum, you didn't realize it was a vintage uh, baseball card? Uh, there's stories in the Bible about bad trades. There's this guy named Esau, and he has a brother named Jacob, and Esau's out in the field, and he comes in, and he's so hungry, and Jacob's making lentil soup. What is it about lentil soup? And Esau has to have the lentil soup, so he sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. And we've all made bad trades. We've made bad exchanges. I think we ought to make a trade back. I think we ought to trade the lie for the truth about God. And that's where the I am statements come in. See, what we're doing when we're doing this is we're, we're telling ourselves the truth over and over again. In the book of Colossians in chapter 2, Paul will say, hey, don't be captivated. Don't be held captive by this hollow and deceptive t- teaching that's not based on Jesus. You've got to be careful because it's really easy to get swept up in thinking incorrectly about God, about yourself, and about others. And so the I am statements are a process of going through and going, okay, what does God say about me? What should I believe about myself? And we see Paul explaining this in chapter 12 of Romans, where he says in chapter 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. He says, don't be pressed in. Don't be forced to be into this pattern of this world. And when he says world, he's, he's not talking about God's good creation. He's talking about a way of being human that's a way that he doesn't want us to be human. It's a w- actually a way. It's a pattern of being human that none of us really like. It's the pattern of being human where thousands are, are forced to flee their country and then nobody really wants them. Where little babies get washed up on the shore. We don't like that pattern of humanity at all. It's the pattern of humanity where every once in a while someone will just walk onto a school campus or a church or a shopping mall or a theater and they will shoot other human beings being made in the image of God. We don't like that type of humanity. It's the type of humanity, it's the pattern of this world that says we're not going to have any civil discourse anymore. We're not going to sit across the table with somebody that we disagree with and have a good conversation because it's easier just to throw bombs on the other side and we'll play a zero-sum game. 
instead of having civil and healthy political, social, or religious discourse. We don't like that type of humanity. We want something better. We were made for something more. And so Paul says, be changed, be transformed. And how? By the renewing of your mind. Why do we have you saying these I am statements? Why do we encourage you to memorize the scriptures? Because we believe we need to have the way that we think, our paradigm, renewed over and over and over again. Because if you're like me, the jackets change, but I still go try to put them on. And I need to be reminded again and again and again who I am in Jesus. When I was in college and I came to Jesus, I had this journey of trying on different identities. And so I printed out this list of about 24 I am statements, and I slapped them onto my wall next to my bed. And every single night before I went to sleep, and every single morning when I got up, for several years, I read those statements, and I memorized some scripture that went along with each statement. I knew that I needed to have my mind renewed because I was jumping from false teaching, from false thinking, from destructive thinking about myself for, for two decades. And so it took a while to begin that process of renewal. Paul says when that happens, he says, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As we are renewed, we are able to start to discern which way God wants us to go. So we have this identity, and then he will send us actually on mission. And so we'll know as moms and dads, we'll know as empty nesters, we'll know as teenagers, we'll know as young parents what we are to do in different situations. And yeah, we won't always get it right, but it's again, it's a process of continuing in the renewal process day after day, month after month, year after year. I just think it would have helped me when I was a kiddo to know that I am qualified. Another way to say that is, I'm enough. God says, I'm enough. And if he says it, then I don't need anybody else's approval. There's no more hoops to jump through. There's no more lines I have to cross. He says, I'm enough. He loves me just as I am. And sometimes we need some help in this process as well. And so we have the parenting seminar that I talked about, but we also have some other environments that we're trying to create uh, around here at Lakeside. Some of you are on this journey and you're kind of, you're kind of looking at Christianity, you're kind of looking at God, and you're, and you're wondering, hey, is all this stuff really true? You know, I, I really don't know. Some of these claims that you guys make are, are, are odd, like somebody was dead and then they came back to life. And I, I really don't understand that. And I'd like to investigate that more. I feel this sense, this draw, this, this you know, part of me that, that wants to pursue that. And so we have this environment that we call Alpha, and it's just a sort of a roundtable where we get together and we talk for over several weeks about Christianity and what is it and what are the claims, and we have some dialogue, and, 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 and it's just a great kind of give and take where you can ask whatever you want to ask. 
We also have another environment that's called shape, and shape is really about how you're shaped. How has God shaped you with your gifts, but also your personality and your experiences and all of those things, your spiritual gifts, but also just kind of your talents and stuff. And so God has uniquely shaped you to be a person of hope in the world that he's placed you in. And so we want to help you find that shape. And so shape is another environment that we've created. And also, you know, some of you might be saying, well, you know, I've heard about this whole thing about discipleship. And what, what is discipleship? And what is a disciple? A disciple is just a follower of Jesus. And we believe that followers of Jesus help other people follow Jesus. So we have an environment where we just call it discipleship training. And it's just this process that we go through where we learn how to, how to open the scriptures and we, we learn how to tell our own story to somebody else about what God's done in our lives and how to, how to listen to their story and, and how do we lead somebody towards that moment where they might receive Christ in their life. They might make that life-changing decision where they would say yes to Jesus. How do we, how do, we do all that? What, what are the values behind that? And so maybe one of those environments is for you. We got lots of other ones in, in Lakeside Life and, in, and at lakesidechurch.com. There's all sorts of ones. We're creating this huge environment down on the corner where we're going to play and have fun, where you can invite the people that are in your life to laugh together and to play together. And we just believe that that's a part of how God made us. We just believe that when we know who we are, when we understand our identity, it changes everything. Would you pray with me this morning? God, thanks for reminding us that you love us. And God, that our identity is based on your love. And the fact that you decided in eternity past to create each one of us. You formed us and you fashioned us and you shaped us uniquely and beautifully. And God, we want to respond to that. We want to believe that. We want to step forward in that truth. We don't want to be pressed in by some other kind of destructive humanity. We want to live the Jesus humanity. So God, I pray that you would help us. God, may we be a community that's recognized for the Jesus humanity and not the other. Father, we love you. I pray that you would continue to renew our minds as we think about these things, as we memorize them, as we talk about them over lunch, as we talk about them in, in our homes and, and wherever we go. And God, I pray that we would remember to reflect our praises back to you, just as we, we, we reflect your image out into the world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.